0: Welcome into the night episode of the Royals Farm Report podcast. I know it's been a little while, we apologize for that, but we're glad to get you some content here before the Major League Baseball draft next week. I'm Joel Penfield, for those of you listening for the first time now that we're on the Royals Review uh, podcast network here over at SB Nation, and I'm joined by the uh, site manager over at Royals Farm Report, Alex Duvall. Obviously, you guys have heard from him at Royals Review as well. How's it going, man? Joel, I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well, man. It's been a crazy few weeks here, the last you know, last couple for me. But I'm glad to be able to kind of sit down, get a little bit of downtime, and finally record one of these damn things.
1: Oh man, you telling me it's been way too long? We started this; we were on a roll. I think we were doing you know weekly reports or weekly podcasts. But uh, hopefully, we'll get back to doing that here this summer as things calm down a little bit.
0: Yeah, for sure. Life has gotten in the way for us a couple times for sure. But what's been going on, man? At least for
1: you know our loyal
0: listeners over at royal's farm what's, what have you been up
1: to recently you know we just got done with our ebook if you haven't bought the ebook yet you know the the draft's not until monday so go ahead and go over to royalsfarmreport.com find our ebook it's got um, 80 of the top draft prospects uh, for this year we also included a brand new set top 75 ranking of the uh, of royals prospects Uh, We wrote up the top 10. So if you're wondering, um, you know, any of the prospects, if you're looking for local guys, if you're looking for some other national guys, if you don't cheer for the Royals and listen to this podcast, um, you know, the top 80 are all in there. So it's uh, pretty easy to find. Um, It'll cost you three bucks. But, um, you know, you're talking about we're all local writers. We're all you know writing for Royals Farm. Uh, So three bucks for 100 pages of content felt like it was, you know pretty uh pretty reasonable so hopefully you guys will go over there and support us i guess royalsfarmreport.com look for our ebook it's a nice little draft guide for you uh, heading into monday
0: yeah that was a lot of fun to be able to do i i appreciate it when pat reached out to me and said that he wanted me on that as well i had a ton of fun writing up the 10 or 12 that i did and you know to see the success we've been able to have with it selling over 90 of those things it's it's been awesome and it, the, we can't thank you guys enough it's truly from the bottom of our heart we can't uh, thank you guys enough for the support on it and hoping, you know, as the draft gets closer, hopefully people, more people buy it. If you're listening and you're interested, go on and buy it seriously, you know, with the stuff that Alex and Josh and Marcus and, you know, others, you know, and the, all the work they did was just awesome. And Drew who wrote like 35 of those freaking things. So it, it was,
1: it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has. And, you know, part of that too, is, is getting enough guys that, you know, Drew is, you know, one of our amateur experts at the site. And so, you know, having him and Drake, especially there, uh, really helped that process, but having enough guys where, you know, I think I only did like six or seven, like you said, you only did maybe a handful. Um, Patrick did another handful. And so you get a bunch of guys like that and it allows us to focus up on a few different, different dudes and pick the guys we like. And so, uh, anyways, yeah, that was a good, that was a good, good time. So, uh, for those of you listening and for those of you who have seen the tweet, we are going to have Jeff Ellis on. Jeff Ellis is a Um MLB draft expert uh more nationally. He focuses on amateur prospects. He focuses on the MLB draft. This is kind of his area of expertise. He's gonna come on. He's a writer for 24-7 Sports. He's gonna join the show here in a little bit. Um But one thing I'm curious to ask him is he wrote up his mock draft 3.0 recently. And let me get that pulled up here. Uh, Um so he writes up draft 3.0 and as he wrote it up, and I'm reading through it, it appears that he believes that it's possible that um, Bobby Witt Jr. So Bobby Witt Jr. was our second-rated prospect in this entire draft. He's the guy that's been mocked to Kansas City. Everybody knows who Bobby Witt Jr. is by now. Um, that potentially, maybe it's a smokescreen. You know, maybe there's a chance that the Royals are just you know bluffing. And, and I think part of that is is interesting because you know in the Royals' position. You know, they don't have a ton of bargaining power with a prep guy. And so right. you know, if, if if it is a prep guy they're gonna take, I don't I don't understand. Like what do, what do you gain by telling everyone who you're gonna take? And so maybe are we in for a surprise on Monday night? That's one of the questions I'm gonna wanna ask him. But uh Joel, is there anything specific that, you know, any any draft questions, anything you're looking forward to that you're excited to ask Jeff about? I think the main thing
0: is, you know, the you know the first round you know first pick you know it's you know kind of Rutschman Vaughn Witt we kind of know those guys at least they're gonna go in those first five picks or so but I'm curious because of how many picks the Royals had in the first round and the beginning of the second round in the competitive balance round last sure year they had five picks took five college pitchers they don't draft until the 44th pick after taking after the second pick I'm curious who the Royals are gonna take there and I know you have a couple guys that you're intrigued by at that 44. But I'm interested to hear, you know, who he thinks the Royals might take there. Do they, you know, kind of stay on that college pitcher route? Do they maybe go with another prep guy to go with Witt? I think there's a lot of different ways they can go uh, in that direction. But I'm curious his thoughts there, because after the first round, it really almost kind of becomes a crapshoot of who, once again, who the best available. But then it's, you know, even more minute at that point.
1: Yeah. And I think it's the interesting thing is the Royals have been put in a tough spot a little bit here in the past two drafts where last year they had four picks in the top 40 and that was awesome, but they got blocked in a way by Tampa Bay who had picked one spot in front of them. And, and so they picked what the Tampa Bay picked 17th, the Royals picked 18th. Yeah. But and
0: they took Tampa labor Bay picked,
1: yeah. yeah, that's right. And then they picked 31st and 32nd and the Royals picked 33rd and 34th. And so, yes, the Royals had four in the top 40, but they were kind of, you know, they were at the mercy of Tampa Bay a little bit because Tampa Bay had a similar draft pool. And then again this year, you know, the Royals having the second pick at 44, you know, that's something that I was reading something the other day. Maybe it was from, I honestly can't remember who it was from, but it was a little, and it was, it was somebody I respect. It was a little bit of a, uh, maybe a, not an ignorant comment, but maybe a a misremembered comment where he's talking about how low Chris Bubich was drafted. Chris Bubich was the fourth Royals player taken in the draft. Yes. Yeah. He's also going to be, he was also drafted higher than all, but one Royal will be drafted this year. And so I think it's important to remember that drafting that high is still, I mean, the Royals got Bubich at 40 last year. And so at 44, you can get another impact arm like that. But Arizona this year is kind of like Tampa Bay and the Royals last year. Where they have so many picks that you really, you're not going to get anybody that you think you want because Arizona has the money to go get them. And so, so like you said, I'm excited to see what he thinks about that. There's a couple guys I like, but I'm really not sure who's going to be there because Arizona's got so much money, they can really manipulate the draft however they want to.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting thing. And obviously there's, you know,
1: 40, you know, there's going to be 38 rounds
0: after that too. So then we have a lot of guys to cover after that, a bunch of new blood in the system. It's going to be a, a lot of fun, but obviously the Royals are getting one of the top guys in one way or another uh, at the beginning of this draft this year, so it's exciting for us. You know and easy easily going to be a top 100 guy, possibly even top fifty in all of baseball, uh, which just makes the the system that's you know been growing and what we've been seeing over the last year uh, it's going to make it even better, and hopefully you know they can catch up you know this guy can catch up with the wave right now that's in Wilmington and hopefully heading up to Northwest Arkansas here pretty soon
1: yeah, for sure and for those of you who don't know, Daniel Lynch recently cracked uh, MLB pipeline's top 100 prospects list and MLB pipeline's not the best source. I think it's the most popular, and so we reference it the most. But it's not the best source. But the Royals now have two top 100 guys. They have Brady Singer, who hovers around 50. Daniel Lynch is at 100. You add in a guy like Bobby Witt Jr., who is probably going to be a top 15, top 20 prospect in the system or in all of baseball, right away. And then, yeah, and then so all of a sudden the Royals have a top 20 guy, a top 50 guy, another top 100 guy, and you got three dudes in the system now who are legitimately very good prospects. And so um, you know, MJ Melendez is having one of the more disappointing seasons in Royals minor league memory in recent minor league memory. Like, I can't remember, um, you know, it, I can't remember being this disappointed in a, in a highly, in a prospect I was this invested in, I guess. Um, and so, you know, I thought he was close. Sully Matias at 31 home runs last year. He'd be lucky to get 31 hits this year. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's been disappointing, so adding a guy like Bobby Witt Jr. in and, and re- reinforcing this uh, farm system is going to be uh, really big for the Royals, I think. And hopefully the guy they get at 44 can be an impact arm like Lynch or Bubich or Kowar is um, in the system now. Okay, yeah, I think hey, that was Joel, it. you ready to um, call him in? Yeah, absolutely. So without further ado, let's
0: get into our interview with Jeff Ellis. But before we get into that, uh, now that we're part of SB Nation, uh, here is a message from our sponsor. And now we're back and we're here with Jeff Ellis. He is the MLB draft and prospect uh, analyst for Twenty Four Seven Sports, and he'll be joining us uh, to talk about the what to expect in the NFL or NFL. Awesome MLB draft here on Monday. Uh, Jeff, thank you for joining us, man. We really appreciate it.
2: Having me on, I uh, appreciate you guys extending the uh, the chance to come talk. Well, I'm
0: sure you're very busy right now, so we appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule leading up to the draft here, uh, talk with us for a little while now. <laughs>
2: It's uh, you know, it's always a little bit hectic. This year, it's not as hectic. I think we kind of know who the top players are. There's a lot of idea about what's going to happen, so it's it's a little less hectic right now in the going on.
1: And it says Alex is muted. Me... Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. I was just making sure I wouldn't make any sound. Okay. No, you're good.
0: You can go ahead and ask first question, Alex, if you so desire. okay
1: all right, here we go. hey, so Jeff, um reading through your mock draft three point which again for our listeners, uh you can find that over on twenty four seven sports dot uh, com um Jeff, I'm kind of with you where if if I'm the Royals for an office um and, and the Royals specifically who cry you know poverty whenever they get the chance um it, it feels like they're stripping themselves of any bargaining opportunity they have with Bobby with junior by rolling out the red carpet for him uh, with that number two overall pick. So in your mock draft, you, um, mentioned that you wonder if it might be a giant smoke screen. Um, kind of explain to the listeners what you mean by that.
2: Um, basically when it comes to the draft, this is the time of year where, uh, just about everything I'm told is a lie. Um, you know, agents are telling me information, hoping I'll, um push a guy up boards because they're trying to get more leverage teams are telling me the uh the wrong players they want because they're hoping a guy will slide and they can maybe get him around later it's uh this is kind of the big lie season of it all and uh while this bobby Wood information has been there long enough that you know I, I said it could be a giant uh you know they're trying to cover themselves um, they could be, there could be, you know, maybe it's JJ Bladet or one of these other players like that. But I, I'm, I think like most people, I, I don't really think this case is a smokescreen. Like I can say that uh, I, I've been hearing a lot about like Anthony Velope uh, to uh, the Mariners and Hunter Barco to the Brewers. And I just kind of look at history and maybe I'll be proven very wrong. But like those are the ones where I look at those and think that that's, those don't make any sense at all. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, and I tend to agree. The Royals have a at least a relative history with going with the best prep talent available, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they took Bobby Wood Jr. on Monday, and I think most people expect it so long as he's available. It just does seem odd where, you know, to tell everybody that's who you're going to take and to just totally strip yourself of the ability to, to even save a couple hundred thousand dollars which could matter later on it just seems odd so when you mentioned that i was glad to see someone who you know probably knows more about it than i do to to you know at least say something similar because i just i do think it's odd and um you know if if i was dating more i would be telling everybody that i'm gonna draft andrew vaughn and you know i'm taking the best hitter and i'm trying to expedite the rebuild and we need a guy to get here quickly That way I could call Bobby Witt Jr. on Monday night and be like, hey, accept, would you sign for? But anyway, um, I did think that was interesting.
2: So, um. Yeah, I can say, like, I remember, it's a few years back now, but the year the White Sox took Zach Collins, I had him there for like two, three mocks in a row. I had a really good source on that. And then uh, I had an even better source who was intimately connected to the front office. So I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna go with this. And then, of um, the, the, the what I was told was it was gonna be Gavin Lux that, that was the guy they were in love with. Um, and then, so of course, the day of the I changed that pick, and it it does end up being Zach Collins. So that's that's the kind of stuff I end up seeing sometimes with those uh, smoke screens. Yeah, for sure. So um,
1: speaking, of, go ahead, Joel.
0: So this might be a dumb question, but just from my perspective, because, you know, we sometimes you see guys really locked into that number one spot and it doesn't change, but you know, weirder things have happened. What percentage chance do you you know are we are we one hundred percent going to see Adley Rutschman go number one to the Orioles on Monday, or do you do you think there's any chance that something crazy happens and they go with Witt or Vaughn or anything like that?
2: I think there's a A better than typical chance just because you have a a new front office that is um heavy ties to the Houston Astros who have gone uh have been very successful by doing things very differently uh and I'm sure I mean when you get down to it in Major League Baseball I'm sure it's the same but we always hear about it in the NFL that uh your best chance is to have more picks that you're you know the failure rate is so high just get as many picks as possible and that's that's kind of the uh you know the the in a market inefficiency it's, it's not about where you pick but how many picks you have so if the orioles think the baseball equivalent of that is we shouldn't give anyone a super high bonus and we should try to spread it around a bit that the uh, that that's kind of the equivalent of getting a whole bunch of picks is instead getting a whole bunch of prospects at a a lesser cost at the top um i mean i personally don't agree with that i think that uh you know, we're a year out from last year. I don't think uh, the Tigers have any fires remorse on Casey Mize uh, in the slightest. And I think more often than not, especially with these high performing college talent, that's the case. But, uh, I, you know, I would say it's 90% likely, but there is that 10% where maybe they decide that uh, the best, most efficient thing is to just take that, um, let see, their total money I have is 13 million. Uh, and just spread that around as much as possible. You know, almost $14 million, to be fair.
1: How much do the Arizona backs kind of throw a wrinkle into any of these plans where Arizona, back, Arizona has, what, four of the top 38 picks or something like that, to the point where, you know, they could really get in the way of anybody trying to play slot games?
2: I think it's four in the first 34. 30- Four off the top of my head i could be wrong i think it's even like crazier than four of the first 38 yeah it's four of the first 34 i just double checked um cardinals are cardinals wrong arizona team there uh sort of get <laughs> for doing the nfl comparison a second ago the diamondbacks they're an interesting team because they were they've been outside of that Mc, matt McLean pick last year which i will say we were um if you go back to my mock from last year i think i had matt McLean as their sandwich round pick like that was information that was out there yeah you want to talk about information that was out there months ahead of time i think i was told that the diamondbacks are absolutely in love with matt McLean in like march um and around march or april you can see he's in any extended mock to them uh they are so deeply in love with him they have this guy down and then he decides he wants to go to ucla instead which is one of the reasons why they have all these picks but he's been their only earth prep selection over the past few years um so while they have all these picks and you know there's a lot of talk that oh they're gonna disrupt the draft they're gonna go with high cost guys you know maybe matthew allen in the middle of round one or uh, uh, maurice hampton with one of those later picks who's the um he can go to LSU and play football and be a starter or be a starter on the football team and play baseball. He's a four-star football recruit. And I do have them taking some prep talent, uh, but it, especially in the middle of the first round where there's going to be a, a well-known high performing college bat that slides. There's probably going to be three or four of them, honestly, because that's the strength of this draft. I don't see the disruption there. It is going to be interesting to see who they can kind of pick off in the middle of uh, or the, middle of the back end of well i guess it's more the middle around one you have like 41 picks before round two begins it's, it's closer to the middle than the back end but uh yeah they're gonna be i mean this is their draft you get right down to it um they've got the most money they've got the most picks they really control this draft you know the orioles are two for money the royals are three uh even a team you know the rays are tenth and they have picks I believe in the first 41. so there's there's some teams out there that uh, really stack up to have a chance to uh, sneak in and grab a sliding talent. So one of those you know groups that I think there could be some
1: sliding talent there's a there's a lot of prep arms that, that really intrigue me but there seems to be no consensus on you know who the best prep arm is. I personally am a huge Brennan Malone fan. I know Daniel Espino's fastball got all the love and all the hype on social media earlier in the spring, but um, is is there a prep arm that you think is clearly head and shoulders above the rest?
2: Um, I, you know, honestly, no. And like, when you get down to it, someone like Matthew Allen, like I like him. I have him somewhere in the teens on my board, Uh, but I don't know if there's anyone in this class I would rank, would have ranked more higher than, fourth a year ago. I'm going to apologize if my mic is having issues. My cat has decided she wants to take part in the podcast. Um, oh, fantastic. You're we welcome. we welcome animals on the pod too. So, so getting getting another one in. Uh, but uh, yeah, so like last year, this top my head stuff, but you know, definitely wouldn't have put him ahead of weathers wouldn't have had him ahead of uh, liberator. So he he definitely would have been further down. Uh, you know, you talk about Espino. He's he's really weird. From the fact that I don't think he's going to add much, so I, it's hard for me to write about a prep player and be like, well, he's, he, you know, he's kind of he is what he is. I mean, he's going to have to work on command. There's he's going to there's a lot of things he needs to refine in his game, but I don't think his stuff is going to change very much. He's uh, where he kind of is now in terms of his stuff is probably where he's going to be in four years. So you're just trying to take that guy and refine it. And that's part of the reason why I think that he he's more of a reliever. And uh, talk about in the mock, you know, I think I said the same thing about JT. I know I said the same thing about JT Ginn a year ago, and he's made me look foolish this year in college, um, as he's been great in the SEC as a freshman. But, yeah, I don't – I'm not in love with anyone in the pitching class. It's It all feels very close with Priester, Malone, and Allen kind of being at the top there. But someone could really like Goss. Um, makes a lot of sense. Blake Walston's that interesting lefty. Um, you know, Jack Leiter, I think, goes to college, but there's going to be people who just look at that polished skill set and like him. It's, there's a lot, I mean, right handed pitchers always slide. Kumar Rocker was at Bandy this year. At one point, he was talked about being the top overall pick in last year's class. Um, the other guy was Ethan Hankins. He had some injuries. The Indians took him. I don't think he's pitched for him yet at this point uh, outside of uh, you know, the instructs. So we'll see, but right-handed pitchers always slide and it's a class where it's not a super exciting group.
0: Okay. So now for I, sure. I no,
1: Sorry. Go ahead, Alex. Okay, I was going to say, Jeff, for sure with the with the pitching that there's not a ton of uh, clarity, I think. And I think the one, the, the one consistency I've seen on every board is, is Nick Lodolo is being, the best pitcher in the class, which, you know, he had a rough freshman, sophomore year. And, you know, early on, I really, for a while, I, he was the guy I wanted Kansas city to take it to. I thought they could have gotten him a little cheaper than maybe Bobby Witt jr. Or Adley Rutschman, whoever were, were to fall to two. Um, I, I don't think there's any chance of that happening, but it brings up an interesting point that I, that, that I saw in baseball America. And, and I've talked to the Royals for an office about this as well. Is that the Royals split up their draft board into groups of four? So they have college hitters, college pitchers, high school hitters, high school pitchers, and that seems very confusing in my opinion. Because you know, eventually you're going to have to rank all those guys when it's time to pick, um, regardless. So, assuming that Bobby Witt Jr. is on the top of their prep, you know, board, and that Nick Lodolo is on the top of the college pitching board with Adley Rutschman on top of the college. Um, college hitters board so monday night it comes down to nick lodolo versus bobby witt jr on their board have have you ever heard of a of a team splitting their board up into groups of four like that is that something that's unique to the royals and if it is what's your best guess as to how they you know in the middle of the draft begin to prioritize those guys
2: well, I will say, it you know, it, it makes some logic last year. They must have lost everyone but the college pitching list. And that's just what we saw in the 2018 draft at the, the start run for the Royals there. Um, they I have not heard of anyone doing it that way. I mean, I can kind of understand the logic um, from the point of view that. It just comes down to a four-player comparison at each pick uh you're gonna have the top of each board and you just then when the pick comes up you compare four players and you're like okay which one of these is someone head and shoulders above um but it is interesting they're going with Wit after being so highly conservative uh a year ago i am curious to see you know after wit if they go back to uh, the conservative route But this is also the same team that, uh, I mean, that core, mustakis Hosmer, those were all prep players and had that run of taking all the, uh, the Bubba Starling, all those uh, high-priced prep talent. So, you know, Dayton Moore's kind of been all over the place. Uh, It's an interesting approach. It is unlike anything I've ever heard, but I do understand the logic of you're just going to list all these guys because it's easier to list prep hitters against themselves. And when it comes time for you to make that call, you can then just compare four guys instead of having a board where you're looking at, okay, we got about 10 in this range. It's literally, why would you go for the hitter that's not on top unless it's about monetary, which I'm sure they have that tied into all the boards, I'm sure. I mean, I don't think there's a, a team in the world that doesn't have a monetary check-in at this point with just about every single player that they're considering drafting. And if they don't, uh, they're they know what that player wants before they draft him. Gotcha. Okay,
0: so we've kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the first round, and you know, the with the number two pick and all that likely being probably with Junior Adley Rutschman, and all that. And obviously with the Royals having so many picks in those first 40 last year with the competitive balance round and all that, the Royals don't pick until 44 this year. Who are you hearing or who do you think the Royals may go with at that 44th pick, which would be their second pick of the draft?
2: I haven't heard a ton i you know a lot of their stuff and that maybe that's what you know if they're 100 percent in on Vaughn or on wit uh you know everyone's just talking about that so maybe they're like okay well this is going to get out anyways and everyone is just going to focus in and we can sit back and the rest of the draft uh, is a little you're not hearing as much because of the wit talk so maybe that's the logic in it getting out um the little bit that i have heard Seems to be people thinking that uh uh sorry, having a the a college pitcher could be the uh the target. And the guys who are kind of in that range on the board, you're looking at uh John uh Doxis from Texas A and M. Um Matt Cantero from Bryce. I'm trying to think uh maybe somebody like one of the two big like I I think the Yankees are all over Jameson, but maybe Seth Campbell. I always get that wrong. He pitches a Campbell. His name is Seth Johnson. Uh, Ethan Small at Mississippi State is a name I would though kind of look out for because a year ago we saw the Royals go for high level performers and guys who got a lot of strikeouts. um, That's small, and he's doing it in the SEC. So. If I were to, to take a shot in the dark on who the Royals taken taking round to, I think Ethan Small would be the guy I'd lean to right now.
1: Uh, I really also, like that pick. I think yeah. I saw him. Yeah, I think he was on the... When Fangraphs released their uh, most recent mock draft, I, I think it was Ethan Small that had the Royals at 44 as well. And, and he's a guy who, honestly, I didn't know a ton about until I think it was Rob Friedman, Pitching Ninja on Twitter. He posted a, a GIF of, of Ethan Small altering his delivery altering the timing in his delivery and so you know i was like "Ooh, that's that's cool and so i went in and started looking at him he's a guy who uh very much like chris Bubich, very much like um brady singer like you were saying jeff is you know high performance guy high polish good command and and maybe he's just um you know, maybe he never has the stuff but maybe the pitch ability carries him so he's a guy who i've bought in on in the last week and obviously that's you know, there's 44 picks at 43 picks
2: that have happened before that. So there's a lot of, um, variants there, but, um, the other think, guy that kind of, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. The other guy that kind of came to mind and it's, uh, uh, is Noah song, you know, the, the senior from Navy, I feel yeah. like with some of the things we've heard with Dayton Moore over the years that he would, he would have extra appreciation for someone coming from a service Academy. I could be wrong in that, but that just something that kind of sticks in my head. Um, there is some concern about exactly when he'll be able to, uh, you know, if he's going to have to do a two year service, then come, we have seen most players in all sports, um, kind of forego or those two years or, you know, get put on hold. Uh, very, I can't recall the last player, like even, uh, since Chu, you know, had to play for the Korean military, got a waiver, you know, almost everyone gets that waiver. And if you look at songs performance, um, It's off the charts. He's leading the country in strikeouts. And if there was no concern about that at all, I think he'd probably be, you know, he was on my first list. He was probably going to be somewhere in the late 30s. So he's one of those guys that you might get a value at that point. And like I said, I just, in my mind, I could be wrong. I could see Dayton Moore appreciating someone who has that commitment to the service academy. And that commitment would also carry on to pitching in the way uh, uh, that someone could think about it in scouting terms. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense and I d I don't
1: disagree with anything you just said. Dayton Moore is um as most listeners know, very religious, very much a um a character first guy, so um I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um and, and at the site we love Noah song. I, I didn't mm-hmm. think there's any way for for a while I didn't look there's any way he'd get to forty four. Um, but with the idea of the navy, like you said, um you know, that would be really like I would be thrilled if the Royals can snatch him um, at 44. Uh, Jeff, I think we'd be remiss. We didn't ask you while we had you about some local prospects. Um, Baseball America released today their their state list. And uh, I think Cameron Meisner is obviously the, the local guy. Everybody's going to have their eyes on it, number one. But are there any other um, Missouri or Kansas, maybe Iowa,
2: Nebraska uh, draft eligible players that you've really got your eyes on? Um, well, I'll start off by saying that uh, my wife actually did her postdoc at the University of Missouri, so I got to see a lot of those players in uh, person over the years. So, oh, uh, right. that's I'm, pretty cool. Yeah, all right. yeah. She was uh, she was up there as an anthropology uh, working at the hospitals, and actually, my my own child was born at the, the University Hospital out there in Missouri. So, um, all right. I, yeah, lots of connections. So when I was, I was very impressed with Meisner. So I've been a little disappointed overall on performance this year, but uh, I'm not sure if there's a college hitter with a better speed power combo in the draft. If he ends up being just a low average, uh, I was trying to find a good comp, but if he ends up hitting like 220 but walking uh, 10% of the time and hitting 25 home runs and being an average center fielder and our above average corner outfielder, that's incredibly valuable. Um, You know, the, what's happening with noah song and someone with meisner i always feel like this is the stage where teams are looking for reasons to not take a guy so if they can kind of circle one area that player could slide um i really like uh, tj uh, sakima the left-handed pitcher again high level performance in the sec uh, there's no better indicator for college talent there's no other conference that comes close um I know that's always a uh, in in football terms you say that and people get mad. I don't think anyone can debate that in baseball. Um, so he he definitely I I have those two players uh, pretty close. I know most are, and it's not necessarily that I'm lower on Meisner. I'm just very high on uh, what's the can you're gonna S- my pronunciation? Sigma.
0: I think it's sigma. sigma. My
2: yeah. Pronunciation I... is always awful. Um, and I tend to watch games on mute just so I can watch multiple games at once. I, I mm-hmm. probably should just turn on sound so I can hear how it's pronounced. But, yeah, he he's a, only six feet tall, but the other nice thing with him is he's really young for the class. I think his birthday is in July. He's 20. Yeah, end of July. Pulled it up. So it's it, high-level performance and in the top-level conference, ex- young for his class. Those are two of the best indicators you can find. Um, uh, Matt yeah. Wallner is... Southern Missouri or not? Southern Mississippi. That's not the right one. Never mind. No, <laughs> no worries. Uh, hey, go ahead. Jeff, with with, with TJ Sikkema, he reminds me
1: um, the the pitcher's a little different, but in terms of profile, he reminds me a bit of Tim Kate, who came out last year, and I, and I was really high on Tim Kate coming out of the draft, probably a little, maybe even a little too high. Uh, Washington got him. He's been pitching really well professionally um you know the fastball's not you know elite velocity but everything i've heard from from sycamore's reports are great spin rate um good tunnel action um and, and then that the breaking ball doesn't you know it doesn't appear to be wipe out but the swings that sycamore gets on his breaking ball make it look like a wipe out offering so is, is, do you, is there anything to that in your mind
2: the sycamore <laughs> to tim kate um the i will say the upside to him is uh compared to kate is uh there's no uh uconn it just eats up pitchers and we saw kate have the injury issues going yeah. into before he got drafted we don't see that here so that's one of his advantages but i think that is uh, a fair comp every time i look at him he just strikes me as one of those guys like my my background as writers i came up first writing on the cleveland indians it's the organization i still know the best and i still have the most connections in and like When I look at at TJ here, it's he a lot of he checks a lot of the Indians boxes. I wouldn't be shocked if he ended up, especially if he were to slide to say the third round. If he was, yeah, like last year, I'll say I did a mock three or a third round mock, and I got one pick right. It was the Indians pick, Uh, and that wasn't inside information. That was just I've spent way too much time over the years analyzing how they draft, but. When you look at what they look for in particular, he's one of those guys that stands out, and I do think the the Kate comp is fair. Um, you know, his is fastball slider. Kate was uh, fastball change. I want to say his fastball curveball. His curveball. Curveball. So then it was yeah, his curveball was, was a sick. change because I get yeah. gingering Another left. You got hurt. They all get. It all gets jumbled. So gingery must have been fastball change. Yes. So Kate was curveball uh, fastball. Uh, yeah. both were about six foot lefties who got hurt and were young for their class or Kate I don't think was young for his class yeah
0: no, I, I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know
2: yeah. about Kate's age yeah,
0: no, I had the opportunity <laughs> I, just to remember- see, so I had the opportunity to go see sigma a couple weeks ago when they played Florida. Mm-hmm. I was up in Columbia for the the Mizzou Florida series get eyes on Meisner but sigma was the guy that I really walked away extremely impressed with and I think it was the just the fact that for two things one he made only one bad pitch in the entire game and threw a complete game. Uh, they lost two nothing. It was the one bad pitch he made. It was a slider that hung up, but everything else, catcher didn't have to move. He was, I mean, like you said, I, like you said, Alex, to your point about his spin rate. That fastball jumps. It has some great life to it, and it just pops up there and looks way faster than ninety-two to ninety-three, which is consistently what he was hitting with a really good changeup as well. And I think the delivery, his delivery, has got enough deception there, kind of crossfires a little bit from the left side. I think he's gonna be a guy and. He was a guy that I was a lot higher on than, uh, I was going, you know, after the weekend and being able to watch him pitch. He's a guy that's, I think he's going to be a really good pro.
2: You know, the player that kind of came to mind as you're talking there and I was thinking about it, it was, um, Zach Lothar. Who's, uh, now in the Orioles system who, uh, came out of Xavier, and I saw him, uh, being in Ohio and he's a uh, low nineties, uh, fastball, but he's all the way up to double a at this point And he's still eating up everyone he faces, um, people keep waiting for him to fail and he's just it, it's having the that spin rate you know, I've always said that uh, a big guy who throws you know 99 is kind of like a the 6 foot you know, it's like getting Jamarcus Russell uh, just because he's big and throws hard if it's not catchable in football or you can't put it on a spot it doesn't matter in baseball if it's straight and you can't spot it it doesn't matter how hard you throw so I feel like, you know, that there's a certain type of pitcher that we underestimate because we see low 90s. It's like, well, if that pitch is moving, if it's spinning, that's what's important more than uh, than anything else. And I think teams are smarter about that now. I mean, you know, you look at just who's out there writing. Obviously, you're, you guys are really locked in and know this stuff. You're paying attention to the spin rates and you're seeing that, too. So I think it's right now is a, a period where you can still maybe get a guy who's undervalued. Uh, uh, who is able to be, you know, you were able to go see him and be like, he might be the best player on the field right now. And he's not getting the valuation, sure, some of its stature. But other it's because he's not eye-popping. But uh, there's a lot of guys who've become really successful who were never eye-popping. For
1: sure. Joel, you got any more questions for Jeff?
0: Let me see if I can get one of Drake's in here real quick. One of, one of our other guys, unfortunately, Drake Downing, was not able to join us tonight, but he sent us a uh... – a note here: uh, some questions that he had, and I think the last question that we'll leave off here, just because it is kind of intriguing to me as well. So we've talked about Bobby and Natalie Rutschman ad nauseum on this, you know, this episode here. But who's a guy that you think the Royals would be kind of an out of left field pick at number two if they do if they decided not go with Witt? Who's guy that could kind of come out of nowhere that you maybe think could go number two as well?
2: That's a that's a good question i kind of got to take a second and think like who would make um you know my uh my i think in my way too early mock at the end of the season uh if you want to go really out of left field we could pull back my pick from back then which would be uh uh bryson stott the uh shortstop from the NLV. they would have seen him a lot a year ago because that's where uh kyle isabel who was the first bat, uh, first hitter i believe they drafted in that uh third or fourth round a year ago so, so if they were going to go for uh maybe way under slot get the, i mean i like stott i had him fifth on my board I actually had him higher than Witt. um but i'm conservative when it comes to the draft i, I really want to especially in the first round like late i want to take those lottery tickets but stott is just incredibly safe a high walk rate guy solid defender no power i mean it, if it, If Witt hits 70% of his ceiling, it's going to probably be better than Stott at 100% of his ceiling. But Stott is, of course, a lot safer. So maybe that would be the, like, if they wanted to save a ton of money, um, it's a player, like I said, I know they would have scouted and seen a bunch of, and he's incredibly safe. I have a hard time seeing him at least not be a utility infielder at worst.
1: Jeff, one
2: last question, promise
1: Corbin Carroll, does he a, is he does he find the top ten or does is he gonna have to wait
2: a little bit to be drafted? I think he's gonna have to wait a little bit. Uh, the tools are all there. I think if you you know you can change a hitter's launch angle without um, massively changing a player's swing. You can look um, just this year with what Tampa did once they like got Yandy Diaz from Cleveland. He's hit more home runs this year than I think he's ever hit in a minor league season and you can take someone like carol because diaz always had these really high exit velocities but he couldn't wasn't hitting for power carol has really high exit velocities, so if you maybe work on that launch angle a bit he could turn into a a, a really interesting prospect uh, doing everything at center field i always hate maybe saying five tool because i put so much on him but i think that's there i know a lot of places aren't high on the power Um, and I understand why it's, it's the approach and everything, but I think there's a a world where you work on the launch angle, you kind of work on the approach and he could end up being one of the bigger steals of the draft.
1: Yeah. Here's my, here's my bold prediction for you. I think, uh, Carol's going to jump into the top 10 sign for a million dollars under slot, kind of like Jared Kellenick did last year. And then this time next year, when we have you on the draft podcast, you'll, come on and go damn alex remember when you said that corbin carroll is going to be
2: jared Kellenick, and he is so uh we'll, I'm, well you can go ahead and hold me to that and then next fair. go i ahead had and- him uh, I, I have him higher than bobby Witt on my board because i and, and this you know people get mad at me about that but i i'm very concerned when with hit tools i mean we as a as a evaluators in general no one is good at evaluating hit tool um i just bring it back to the indians because that's where I started, it's like I remember Tyler Naquin and Brad Zimmer were both guys that supposedly had the best college hit tool in their class and that has not been the case at all and I think that, you know, it's, it's a holistic approach. We need to look at things like, uh, you know, walks and their ability to work counts and stuff so I'm, I get gun shy it's the same reason like jackson rutledge is lower on my list than he probably should be because i get gun shy about a guy that's that tall it's the same thing i get a little scared about hit tools so i do have carol hire at this point and uh you know we, we would both then be uh, looking good if that happened oh hell
1: yeah man jeff thank you so much for coming on to the show um we have just recently joined up with sb nation uh the podcast network over at royals review so this uh this will be on itunes for our listeners Um, which is probably too late because you're already listening. But uh, anyways, Jeff, thank you very much for coming on to our first SB Nation
2: episode. Um, Do you want to go ahead and tell our listeners where they can follow you on Twitter? Yeah, totally. Uh, It's relatively easy. I'm just at JeffMLBDraft. So, uh, yeah, I I put a mock-up yesterday. The days kind of bleed together at this point. Uh, We'll have at least one more complete and then, like, the rushed name-only version, like, five minutes before the draft starts. But uh, big board is currently sitting at 52. It's going to expand out to 104, and that's going to be the you know the the big work this weekend is getting that all done. But uh, it's it's all free content. So if you go over to 24/7 Sports uh, Scouting Baseballs, the site, uh, I know a lot of things are behind paywalls, but I, I do my best to keep this stuff out so people can see it. Awesome.
0: All right, fantastic. Phil give us send all right, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun and very informative, and we look forward to having you on in the future.
2: Awesome. Thanks for having me. I'd love to come back.
0: Big thanks to Jeff Ellis once again for coming on the podcast. That was very fun and very informative. I love, you know, just him kind of dissect kind of what's going on in the major league draft and, you know, hopefully gave some of us a little bit of clarity as to what we're gonna see on Monday.
1: Yeah, for sure. I want I wanna talk about one thing he said and there at the end, I asked him about Corbin Carroll because Corbin Carroll is a personal uh, favorite of mine. Drake Downing kind of turned me on to him uh, a month or two ago. And Corbin Carroll is a center fielder. For those of you who don't know, out of the Seattle area, he's 5'10, stands 165. He's not very big, but like Jeff said, he puts up um, uh, exit velocities that are like in the 99th percentile for his class. He's much, or he's about the same age as Bobby Witt Jr. Um, He's he's not significantly younger. So, I mean, you're not, you know, drafting a, a younger player there. Um, but when he says he has Bobby Witt Jr. higher on his draft board, I don't think he's being uh, terribly, um, you know, far-fetched there. ESPN has, um, and so that would be, you know, Keith Law and the gang over ESPN, have Corbin Carroll ranked as the fourth best player in this entire draft. So that's not like an absurd thing to say. Corbin Carroll's hit tool is elite. He's going to be a guy who, much like Nicky Lopez, in, in, in the sense that he doesn't strike out much, um, and maybe Nicky Lopez isn't a great example. Nicky Lopez is kind of an outlier. So maybe it's a guy like Alex Gordon, who Alex Gordon in his good years doesn't strike out much. Alex Gordon in his good years is going to hit 290 to 300. Um, and so I think that's what you're going to get with Corbin Carroll, and he's a speedy center fielder who's going to play great defense out there. And if the power ever comes around, like, like I said, with when Jeff was on the podcast, he's Jared Kellinick, who's one of the top prospects in all of baseball now. So, as a Mariners um, fan,
0: I love Jared Kelnick. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, again, I don't don't you know attack Jeff for that. I I really think there's a world where Corbin Carroll winds up being the most underrated player in this draft. And, and you know, I, I was only you know partially kidding when I said Jeff's going to come back next year. We're going to go, holy crap! You know, we were right about Corbin Carroll because. The kid is really, really good. And, and I don't think there's any chance the Royals take him at number two. Um, if they did, it would be for way under slot. Um, but uh, he's a guy I really like. So, um, you know, in this draft, like Jeff was saying, Jeff worded it beautifully. Nobody knows the hit tool. They can say they know, they don't. And so the safer you can get where, again, Urban Carroll's hit tool is elite. So you're, it's at least a safer bet to be a better hit tool. Um, the better off you are because you for just sure. don't know, um, especially the guy like Bobby Witt Jr., who the concerns have been there in the past.
0: Yeah, exactly. And one thing I wish I would have asked him, I, I think it was actually on the Royals Review podcast, and uh, Kyler McDaniel, com, uh, you know, to a certain extent, comps Bobby Witt Jr. to Trevor Story. And with the way he's been playing, Trevor Story's been the last couple of years, has been a stud over in Colorado. I would have loved to hear his comp, like a comp that he would have for Bobby Witt Jr., because, you know, it's he looks like a five tool guy, very kind of similar to what the Trevor Story can bring. And if he can have the kind of production that Trevor Stories, you know, has, then he's gonna be a pretty valuable player. I would have just been curious to hear what he thinks about Bobby Wood Jr. as like a major league comp going forward. What what do you think, Alex? I'm kinda of curious where you stand on uh, you know, what you think he could be as a major league player. This is presuming that the Royals taking it too.
1: Yeah, I I think the Trevor Story comp is great. I think it's absolutely a fantastic comp. You're getting a guy who you you hope, you pray he hits 275, and you bank on him hitting 40 home runs and playing great defense at shortstop. And that's what Trevor Story's provided to Colorado. He is an elite defender. Um, He he hits for a ton of power. He walks quite a bit. He strikes out a fair amount. And, you know, his ability to hit 275 is – shaky at times so um i I think that's what you're getting and you know people on on social media will freak out when you say that maybe bobby witt jr isn't as safe a pick as you think you know there is a whole lot of room there in terms of a low floor so um i just caution listeners to make like bobby witt jr is a chance to be a uniquely uniquely special talent he could also be Bubba Starling. Like that is yeah. totally, totally there. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, so, anyway, um, yeah, no, we're, as, we're... Jorge, as Jorge Soler hits a ball halfway up a foul pole in Texas, um, similar type of hitter, right? Hope he hits 260, hope he's on base 35% of the time and hit a ton of home runs.
0: Yep. So, you know, like I said, there's a lot that can change between now and Monday, but. You know, if we get Bobby Wood Jr., I think the Royals got a pretty good guy to, you know, go at the top of that system once again. And it's going to be really fun to see how he does in his pro debut here uh, coming up here not too much longer. Hopefully I get the opportunity to see it as well. I'm I'm hoping I get to travel a little bit with 2080 here coming up here pretty soon.
1: Awesome. Yep.
0: All right. So final thoughts here from Alex and I. Uh, This is something I was thinking about as we were going to record. Uh, you know, we're a little, you know, we're about a month and a half, almost two months into the major league season now. So a lot's gone on. There's been a lot of, you know, breakout stories and a lot of guys that are just playing really well. So Alex, I want to ask you, you know, it could be a Royals player or whoever, but who for you this season across all the major league baseball has been must watch TV for you? Like one player, one team, or what? what's it been for you this season?
1: Yeah, this is tough. And I've been thinking about this ever since you asked me this question the first time and um, what Cody Bellinger is doing in L.A. is just freaking unbelievable. That's and so absurd. I feel like it's a little bit of a cop-out. So kind of an underrated um, guy I want to throw there is Josh Bell. Josh Bell's been on my radar for a long time. Um, I say that. I didn't know he switched hit until this year. I, I've been watching Josh Bell play baseball for years, and I've never seen him taking that bat right-handed. So maybe that's just dumb luck. Um, but Josh Bell's always been a high-contact um, very much like a Billy Butler type of hitter, lots of line drives, lots of doubles, balls in the gap, et cetera. And this year, he's figured out how to hit the ball in the air, and he is launching home runs. He hit two um, into the Allegheny right. in one game. <laughs> yeah, that was unbelievable. So, Josh Bell is a guy for me. Every time um, that I look down at the box scores and see that you know maybe he's at bat, I tune in because he's been uh, he's been really fun to watch since he learned how to hit the ball in the air.
0: Yeah, so my guy uh, is a guy that I think you were pretty high on coming into the season, a uh, pitcher out in San Diego by the name of Chris Paddock. Uh, his starts for me, and he's kind of struggled in his last couple, but his starts for me are must-watch because I love guys that just have that competitiveness on the mound and just that, you know, F you, I'm going to shove this thing where the sh- sun don't shine until you pu- pull the ball from my hands. And I think just his... just. Just demeanor on the mound—it's so fun to watch. And then he's pumping ninety-seven with a disgusting change-up. Like he has been just awesome this season for the Padres. And every fifth day when it rolls around, for sure I am staying up late to watch that Padres game and see him on the bump.
1: Yeah, he has been absolutely unbelievable this year.
0: Yeah, it's been a lot of fun, and I think that's kind of where you know. I think you even mentioned it with that. Brady Singer, you know, just that same kind of mentality is I'm going to shove this thing where the sun don't shine until you stop me. And I just yeah. I, it's that same type of mentality that I just love from a pitcher. That's just one of those kind of intangible sort of things that, you know, we can look at the numbers all day and that's great. But if you have that kind of demeanor on the mound, I'm really going to like you a lot, especially if you're good. So it just makes it that much more fun to watch. Like when he when he and Pete Alonso were kind of going back and forth about like the rookie of the month stuff and all that. And then Paddock just throws 98 right up, you know, letter high right by him. Like, I just love that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, that was absolutely unbelievable.
0: Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, man. And I, I you know he's he's looking he's like I said, it, it's, he's been a lot of fun to watch. There are plenty of other guys. He like said Bellinger's another cop out. It could be a cop out answer. But I mean, he, I don't even think you could say it's a cop out. What he's doing is stupid. <laughs> like, every, yeah, he does everything well. Like, it, it's awesome to see.
1: Yeah. Well, he and Christian Yelich are doing are yeah. borderline like just stop pitching to him. Four fingers in the air. Go to first. Congratulations, it, you're better than me, th- and is, we'll deal with the next guy.
0: This this is probably an awful comparison, but I'm going to make it anyway because you know hot takes go make for good radio, right?
1: Oh boy, it, I know you're. This.
0: Are, are you? Yeah, I'm. Go, I'm going McGuire Sosa 98 MVP. Like it feels that way. I'm not going to say they're going to chase 70 home runs, but I just think the way they go, they're going to go back and forth all season. It has that same kind of vibe to it.
1: Yeah, no, it really does, and I knew you were going there, and and, and to the extent, like you said, they're they're not juiced. they're not using corked bats, um, they do have the benefit of the the juice ball. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think either of them gets to seventy home runs, but like you said, I mean, it will be a fascinating um, MVP race down the stretch, and and I just hope that you know that the the standings don't take a role in that because I sure. enjoy watching two guys go out there duke it out and i want to see the best man win not the best team win for that for that mvp award but uh they are they're they're gonna make it a lot of fun down the stretch
0: definitely all right let's wrap this thing up we've been going for a little while but i'm sure but it's been informative it's not like we've just been rambling here for too long which is important but uh alex here where can everyone follow you on twitter if they aren't already
1: find me on twitter at duvy duvy underscore zero one three you can catch us on the site at Royals Farm and then uh,
0: Joel go ahead or right, you can follow me at JT Penfield like you said be sure to follow the main site at Royals Farm and we will hopefully be back and it won't take another month and a half for us to get another podcast up uh, now that we're into the summer there's a lot to talk about we're going to be back with some more actual Royals minor league stuff and not just the future of the Royals minor leagues uh, coming up here in the next week or so hopefully and we will talk to everyone then